0: Exceeding Expectations, episode 25. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations, the show about creating exceptional experiences for your customers. And we interview people from many different industries so you can get different ideas for things that you could maybe tweak in some way for your business to to create something quite unique in the industry that you work in. It results in in great testimonials, positive word of mouth spreads and I think that's what we all strive for and it also means you end up, you spend less money on marketing and advertising and also less time on those activities. And then customers want to work with you, so there's no persuasion required. Price is far less relevant. And it also means you can start charging a higher price for because you're giving people a great experience. And for anyone who wants to, to know more about this, I actually run some workshops about how to, to get better referrals, to get better testimonials, how to increase your prices. If you'd like more information than that, Just go to TonyWinyard.com forward slash workshops and you can find out more information about those workshops that I deliver. In this week's episode, I speak with a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Bryce who tells some fascinating stories about Brighton Football Club and Toyota Toyota, and uh, many others as well. So please welcome Nicholas Bryce. We're here for another edition of Exceeding Expectations, and today I'm speaking to a gentleman called Nicholas Bryce. How are you, Nicholas?
1: I'm fine, thanks, Tony. Good to uh, good to be here.
0: And we were just talking before we started recording, and you've uh, you've not recorded. You've been on a a podcast before as a guest. You were saying,
1: yes, I've done some various industry podcasts within the sports venue industry where I've been doing some work in recent years, and uh, I also sometimes conduct online virtual development sessions and I, I do stuff like that so it's not a new thing to me to be online
0: um and i think it's a fantastic tool actually and and what you say so you mentioned about that you've done quite a bit of stuff online What what is it that you've done in the past
1: oh i've done stuff um helping a, a global organization develop a new performance management system and they they needed literally thousands of people leaders to start operating in a different way over a one three-month period and so rather Mm. than fly trainers and people all around the world we did it all using a program called adobe connect where in Mm. just a series of short one hour sessions we brought everyone online and in groups of 20 30 40 50 we created little interactive workshops um that people would log into and uh there was images, there was breakout rooms. Adobe Connect's a lovely platform for that. And we actually created a pretty good workshop experience for thousands of people and um, implemented a new way of working in just a few weeks.
0: And what type of people was that aimed at?
1: These were primarily middle and senior managers. Um, so it was, right. it, was, it was middle managers right the way up to executives
0: who all had performance management to do with their teams. So, what what is your background, Nicholas? How, how did this all start for you? How did you get into this? Well, all this
1: started for me. I, I, I wanted to be an actor when I was very young. When I came out of university with a psychology degree, I'd had such fun doing theatre and education in the English department, helping stage Shakespeare in a colourful and engaging way to, to to help people really understand and learn what's going on because i don't know about you i find shakespeare a bit inaccessible sometimes when i listen to it um Mm -hmm. so i had a lot of fun learning about how to communicate complex ideas in a colorful and simple and theatrical ways and that was my biggest takeout actually from university i became interested in that so i started a theater company to begin with uh, but i realized quite quickly there's not a huge amount of money in um in theater unless you're very very good and right in the top echelon um And so uh, I decided to invest in my career and uh, joined American Express um, as a systems analyst helping develop IT applications. And I very soon realized that one of the challenges of any kind of project is the way in which people are responding to it, the way in which people behave, the way in which people think in organizations. And, And I realized I had a good eye for looking at patterns of behavior, the way in which culture works. And so that naturally brought me into HR where I worked in HR for a while and moved into internal communications. And while I was there, um, I was sent to look at a program that British Airways were running uh, for 39,500 people. It was a training program two days at a time for 39,500 people called Putting People First. And I went up to the Concord Centre and walked into this room and saw 200 people laughing, joking, having fun, doing games with this most extraordinary trainer, facilitator who's telling stories, who was talking about customer service, talking about personal development, talking about relationships. It was was a really broad agenda. But what I did notice was there were no levels in the room. There was no seniority in the room. Everyone had a badge with their first name on it. Um, And, you know, all different levels of people were together. And uh, this was an organization that really did need to change because BA in those days used to stand for bloody awful. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it, it was one of the worst organizations around. And this program was being given the credit for transforming this organization. And and I experienced just how events and bringing people together um, can transform. And uh, mm-hmm. what I also saw was a chief executive in a chap called Colin Marshall, who became Lord Colin Marshall, stand up at the end of the program and deliver a really wonderful and inclusive keynote about the direction that he wanted to take the airline in and what he was trying to do with people um, and with mm-hmm. the customers and then he invited everyone for a drink and everyone went over to the bar and he was there and he was incredibly approachable and uh, I just saw this wonderful man doing a wonderful job of really putting soul into the organization as I describe it um, mm-hmm. and and my my kind of excitement at that point is something that's never left me really started in me a sense that every organization should be like this every organization should have an exciting and meaningful purpose every organization should have great leaders every organization should be t- creating their own story of success um and uh, so many organizations don't seem to be doing it or didn't seem to be doing it and so that born uh, in me was born this idea of at least trying to help with what I could do, which I was quite a good presenter. I was quite a good facilitator. Um, and I was a good psychologist when I left university as well. So I had the kind of the academic understanding of, of what I was working with. And um, I, I soon actually staged the same program in American express, which went incredibly well. In fact, the a few days ago, I dug out some of the videos that I made of the program and watching it Then I I just thought, you know, it's still so relevant today, some of these messages, some of these ideas, some of these principles of, of relationships in an organization, relationships between customers and staff, you know, are still so important that people need to be good at this stuff. Leaders need to be good at it. Having soul in an organization, being able to deliver something that really excites people is so important. No matter where you are in the organization, no matter what your role is, that's ultimately what you're trying to do is to create a brand, mm-hmm. an experience that people value above everyone else. And uh, unless you're really on board with that as a group of people, it's not going to happen. So um, since then, th- that was 1984, those videos I just looked at yesterday. So that's how long I've right. been working with organizations um, all around the world, helping them try and change the culture to deliver a brand and a brand experience that that really does it for them in their marketplace.
0: So, so companies contact you to to come in and and help them what to shift something that's not happening that they want to happen. I mean, what is what is it they're normally after when they contact you? Well,
1: the best ones do the the, the best the, the best projects are where an organisation has a very clear idea of what it wants to change and what it wants to do. Um, So I've worked with organisations such as the American Express Community Stadium was one I worked with recently, which was the home of Brighton Hove Albion. Um, Now, they were an organisation that had been yo-yoing through the bottom divisions of the the Football League for several years with no money. They actually lost their ground at one point and had to play out of Gillingham. Um, Mm -hmm. And they then went to Withdean, which is basically an athletics track with uncovered seating, hard, cold, plastic seating, um really not 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 the most exciting place to be and they'd managed to keep the football club alive and keep it in the football league um and done reasonably well actually but they never had enough money because the um the limit of the capacity was eight eight thousand something and so they could never generate enough income to really become a major football club um, mm-hmm. um and this was a great work uh, of a guy called dick knight who actually rescued that club and uh and he's, he's part of Brighton Hove Albion folklore now. But I got involved when Tony Bloom had got involved, who was who's the current chairman, who who came in and um, decided that he was going to invest in buying and building um, a new stadium um, at uh, Thelma, which is called the American Express Community Stadium. And I got involved in the months leading up to moving to that stadium because the board recognized that they had a wonderful group of people who, had never had any leadership training. They'd never really done anything other than keep this football club alive for years and years and years on a thread, threadbare budget. Um, and they realised that something needed to change in order to open a multi-purpose, top-class venue that was going to sell out. Um, the capacity was going up from 8,000 to 22,500. Um, and it had taken a tremendous amount of effort to get even permission to build the thing in the first place. Um, the government had to be lobbied, and Brighton fans from all around the countryside used to uh, chase Labour politicians around and do little demonstrations outside wherever they were appearing to try and get the stadium. On their agenda and they finally managed to achieve that and get this uh, permission to build this thing so there was this tremendous desire and sense of expectation that something magical was going to happen now they had a stadium um, mm-hmm. and of course we had a group of people who were terrified um, I suppose to say the least that they were going, going to be out of their depth they're going to lose the soul of the club that you know everything that they, they got used to was going to disappear um, and so we did a lot of a lot of work. I used a lot of the stuff that I'd used with many of the organizations that I'd worked with, but in a in a very club community friendly way. We did sensing sessions, we did focus groups, we listened to people, we talked to the leaders, we talked to the fans, we found out what people really wanted this this club to be, what they wanted the customer experience to be. We identified that in order to go from an eight thousand capacity to twenty-two and a half thousand capacity, they were going to need to attract more than just football fans, you know, it's going to be families. It's going to mean appealing to women. It's going to mean to appealing to corporate customers. Um, even the number of people living with a disability was going to go right up, people who could come to the stadium. So every different customer segment that you can imagine needed to grow. And so we needed to come up with a customer experience <coughs> with the team, with the guys um, there that was going to deliver that growth. And uh, we worked with them through the months leading up to the uh, moving out of Withdean. <clears throat> when they moved to the new stadium, we opened the stadium with a big event for the staff where we had 300 staff in- enjoying all the hospitality suites and doing workshops and playing games and all the hospitality suites. But all of these games and all of this fun had a message. And the message was, what are our values? What is our vision for the customer experience? What does that mean in terms of the customer journey, each area of the customer journey that we all need to work together to achieve? And how are we going to measure what we've done? Um, and we then opened the stadium. We had mystery shopping every game where we had people going around having a look at the experience and making notes. And then we bring all the managers together once a month and give them the scores on the doors, as we used to call it, um, and have a, a big big kind of scrum session, I think they call them in Agile now, uh, looking at some specific and targeted improvements that could be made in the next period and within about four or five months all of the figures all of the measures were showing at least 4.3 out of five in terms of performance of the customer experience Um, whether that's ticketing whether that's arriving at the stadium whether that's ground announcements whether that's stewards you know we even tested things like someone would pretend they've lost their mobile phone and run up to a student say I've lost my mobile phone can you help and we were measuring the staff on how well they tackled that situation um, and mm-hmm. delivered the kind of outstanding customer experience that we felt was vital if we were to fill that stadium. One example um, in the first season of just how, how good this was, um, we, had a, we had a value. We worked on values with people, and the Team Brighton values were basically to treat people well, to exceed their expectations, that we were all going to aim high as a group of people and never give up. We were going to make it special. And that actually spells T-E-A-M, team. Um, and everybody got involved in writing those values and thinking about those values and internalising those values. About four months into our first season, we actually knocked Newcastle, who were Premier League at the time, out of the FA Cup. And this was quite mm. cheeky for a Championship t- mid-table championship team to do this, but we, we beat them 1-0. And uh, at the end of the game, the Newcastle fans were getting a little bit rowdy in the away end, <coughs> partially lubricated by the Newcastle Brown, which was supplied by the club in the away end. And that's one of the things that Brighton do—they put the beer of the local team on tap for them in the away end to make it, um, you know, a nice experience. Um, they even like mm-hmm. the stand in their colours, and and so it's it's almost like a home stand from home. And of course, if you if mm-hmm. you want people to come all the way to the south coast, you've got to. You've got to give them a good experience. Anyway, the Newcastle fans were getting a bit uh, a bit boisterous and some were doing a bit of an okie-kokie and it was getting a bit out of hand. And the stewards decided to clear the stand by basically joining in the okie Koki. Then some woman suggested, hey, everyone, let's do a conga. And they got all of these fans doing a conga and then they congaed them out the exit <laughs> and got them outside. And then when they realised what had actually happened, everyone just fell about laughing. And in a really good, humoured and fun um way um the stadium was cleared now you know some some stadiums would have tear gas and horses riding in Mm -hmm. all sorts of drama going off but that's what happens when people really connect with a a vision for a customer experience and and they buy into it personally in particular if it's something they've been involved in some way in articulating and understanding and expressing which all the stewards had Um, and it was a lovely example in fact that year Um, the American Express Community Stadium was awarded an international award as the best new venue in the world in their first year. Um, And that's a real testament to what 300 people who've had no training, no development for 11 years can turn around and achieve if they've got great leadership, if they've got a brilliant culture, if they know what the vision is, they feel involved and empowered and that they're connected with it, that it's something that means something to them. They're willing to defend it. They're willing to work together to deliver it. People can handle a tremendous amount of change and disruption when they have that amount of clarity and unity in what they're doing.
0: That sounds like a colossal project. How long did that take?
1: Well, I'm still working with them, actually, Uh, very, very occasionally now. But um, the actual getting of establishing the new culture was probably an 18-month, two-year period. Um, and culminated with actually the, I think, the biggest increase in sales and attendance in the history of football. They, it, it was over over 350% increase in their revenue in about two years. Um, in fact, after wow. the first season, they had to build another 9,000 seats to get everyone in. Um, and now they're hitting wow. 30,000, and they're in the Premier League. And in fact, it, first season in the Premier League, Based on fan votes, they they achieved the best customer experience in the entire Premier League, in their first season in the Premier League. And if I take mm. back that back to one of the values, which is to aim high and never give up, one of the values mm. of the club is that we'll always do better than, effectively, we make every pound go a bit further than anyone else does. We do a bit better than than, than expected with everything that we do. Mm. And uh, that certainly um, helped get that little club up to Premier League status. I mean... We've got a right fight on now because we don't spend anything like as much as other Premier League teams in staying there. Yeah. So, you know, it's a constant challenge on the teamwork. But um, the football team, the football players themselves talk about this brilliant team ethos that they have at the club. It's it's spread throughout that uh, that organisation. And, uh, in fact, in 2016, they got an award as the best football club in the country to work for as well.
0: And so from that, I imagine that must a lot of people... Well, the, for the people who realised the changes that had happened, did that get your company quite a bit of sort of exposure and attention? People coming to you and wanting sort of similar results. Yes,
1: indeed. I mean, we've we've done quite a lot of work with the Academy of Chief Executives in helping senior managers um, follow the same path. Um, it's not for everyone. It's it's amazing when you when you come up against chief executives. There's not many that have the vision and that have the the perspective that a tony bloom does or a colin marshall does there's not that many around that i meet actually who Mm. get it who get how important some of these intangible less visible Mm. less tangible bottom line you know less bottom line issues are um they Mm. think it's a waste of time they think it's all about bricks and mortar and pound shillings and pence um Mm. you know and 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 operationally driven people are great and they're very important but at the end of the day you know If I take my partner out for dinner, it's not just to make sure she doesn't go home hungry. You know, Um, there's a whole conversation that we need to be having with people that's beyond the practicalities that that is to do with emotion, to do with aesthetics, to do with values, to do with, you know, self-expression. And I think in the modern world, this is more important than ever before because even though it might be omni-channel customer experience, you can use a chat box, you can use artificial intelligence, you can phone them up, you can go in there, people still want to buy from brands they believe in. And the only Mm. reason that you're going to believe in a brand is that it appeals to you in a personal way on some level. And therefore, it's very important that organizations work with what I call the soul of a business as well as the bottom line of a business uh, and understand what it is, where it comes from, what their story is, what their DNA is, how to get people connected to that in a way that's not just, right, here's a list of values, post them on the wall. You know, mm-hmm. these, having worked with actors and uh, put several you know, award-winning productions together, it's a bit like saying, there's the script, read that out, you've got a five-star performance. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen. The manager or the director or the conductor or whoever it is has a tremendous role to play in turning what could be a very boring daily activity into something that excites people, that makes people want to give more of themselves to it. Um, And I think I saw some research from just three or four years ago that that, that looked at 3,000 people from across the U.K., and only 30% of those people said that they were fully engaged in the work that they did. Only 30%. Just under 50% of them said, well, I'm here, but I'm not really engaged. Um, and the remainder, you know, over over uh, 20%, 20, 20.1% about said, I'm actually actively disengaged. You know, I really don't want to be here and uh, I'm having a really bad time with this and I'm unhappy. And, and I'm sure you've dealt with actively disengaged people um, in customer experience Mm. and as colleagues, and there's a tremendous amount of damage that people like that can do, and you don't even Mm. see it. It's the (coughs) droppy email. It's the not sending an email. It's the not turning up on time for a meeting. It's the not saying anything at a meeting and then slagging people off afterwards. It's all of that stuff that saps the energy in a team, saps the energy in organisation. Um, I mm. see a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, we have seventy percent engagement in our team. We've got eighty percent engagement scores from our surveys. We're doing really well." And I look at that and I think, "Well, okay. So what that means is, if I've got a team of five actors on a stage, you've got four of them performing the part properly. One of them isn't. Uh, mm. So you think that's good, do you? You know, you're not going to notice the one who isn't. <laughs> Are the others not going to notice the one who isn't? Isn't the effect of the mm. one who isn't going to be quite?" Um, quite powerful. And of course, you know people have personal problems, people have personal issues. You're going to have people who are not engaged for whatever reason. But we need to make sure that the reason isn't because they're not being led by someone who's got their ducks lined up in terms of leading the team properly. You know, um, mm. team leadership is a fundamental thing that needs to be there.
0: And so, what what kind of organisations? do you is it kind of quite a wide range of organizations that you're helping
1: yeah i mean i've worked i i spent about 11 years with toyota working in japan and in uk and europe right across europe in america um that was with with tmi um did a tremendous amount of work helping them look at a way of making the brand make sense to people in the organization thousands and thousands of people were involved and impacted by that work um as i say you know right the way down to a 100 person organization a 50 person organization you could do a tremendous amount you know with a with a, a small group of people more often than not mm. the the job if you're working with a global organization with five with 50, people is still getting leaders team leaders and team working well together that's 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 the building block have other team leaders mm. and the team working well together i think it was daniel goldman who, through his research, concluded that at least two-thirds of team climate is to do with the way the leader's behaving, at least two-thirds, hmm. 70%. Um, and um, yet, when you're promoted to team leader, how much development do you get? You know, how much do organizations support a person who goes from being a team member to a team leader? And how many organizations just take the person who's the best technically well, you, know, you do a really good job. Why don't you lead the others to do that job? Mm. Um, and actually, in my experience, if you put your best practitioner as the team leader, all that does is depresses everyone because the standards are so high. What mm. you actually want is the best team leader to be the team leader, not necessarily the best practitioner. Yeah. I think it was Steve Jobs who said that um, we hire great people to tell us what to do. We don't hire great people to tell them what to do. And mm. I think, if you make sure you select and recruit and develop brilliant team leaders, that's half the battle, and certainly, the ones that you've got, you need to be continually developing them and training them and supporting mm. them and coaching them and if you're the senior leader, helping them become great leaders
0: when when you were talking then about yeah, you know, how you were working with Toyota, and did you say you were you were out in Japan working with Toyota?
1: Yes, I did some stuff out in Japan. I did some some lectures. This was, again, for, for, for TMI, which is a company that I've done a lot of uh, presenting with. Um, and, uh, yes, I mean, I had to do some lectures for the marketing teams around the world on how to talk about brand, how to work with brand, how to bring, bring a brand to life. Um, mm. And, uh, in fact, some of the ideas that we covered in those uh, sessions were in a book that I wrote with Susanna Mitra called Brand Alchemy which was published about 10 years ago now. And um, it's quite a good uh, good text for people who want to try and get an organization to have a brand that is lived by the people in it. Uh, Because it's Mm. one thing to have a logo uh, and a kind of strap line. It's another thing to have people representing that brand and delivering that brand and thinking about embracing those brand values in the way in which they work. And this is where culture and brand come together. And uh, Mm. that book, Brand Alchemy, does talk a lot about how you can do that in a big organization or a small organization.
0: And I imagine working with someone such as Toyota. So you've gone in and you've helped them with a number of things. But I imagine also that there'll be a number of things that they were already doing, which you've then learned about where you are then able to pass that on to, to future companies.
1: Oh yeah, you know, I mean, I met some amazing leaders in that organisation. Uh, some wonderful leaders who use stories, stories to engage people and to unite people. Terrific use of metaphors and stories. Uh, the, the the thing about Toyota is is their values are so so strongly embedded in that organisation. The values of continuous improvement, uh, kaizen as it's called. In fact, when I was in America. Mm. Um, there was a conversation with the chief engineer of of Toyota when asked by someone from the American operation about Kaizen and it meaning continuous improvement. And he actually said, well, it's a lot more than that. He says it's a lot more than that. It's having the attitude to life that says there is no best only better. Mm. What a lovely idea that is that there is no best. only better. Um, Mm. And ultimately, you know, life is a bit of a journey, isn't it? It's a journey that, actually is more about the journey than the destination sometimes so this idea of constantly aiming high constantly trying to do better I think is part and parcel of having a good life for me Um, and certainly in that organization they had that principle very firmly embedded wherever I went it was tremendous desire to constantly look at what was happening and make it better you know whether it was a presentation that I gave or a proposal that I'd make or or some other suggestion people would make, it was immediately, oh, that's good. How can we make it even better? That was good. How can we make it even better? And uh, as as we know, Toyota in the 2000s made it to number one car company in the world. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of that was down to this attitude, this frame of mind that said there is no best, only better. It's a terrific, terrific organization.
0: So in all of the, um, you know, so you've been doing this quite a while now. One of the things that I like to, you know, I think a lot of the listeners of the show really appreciate is when they hear some, some things about that they may be able to apply. Can you think of any examples of any of the companies you've worked with where you're able to help them in, in some way that, um, you know, maybe to tell a story that the listeners might find useful in, for their own business?
1: Sure. Um, I did a program just at the end of the year for an IT company, actually. Uh, it's a senior management team of an IT company who wanted to get better at speaking. And they, they mm. did a retreat using my programme, Speaking with Presence and Impact, which, as I said, is a combination of good presentation skills, training, but also a whole load of theatre techniques to help people become more all-round storytellers and, and engaging people to listen to. Um, and mm. the um, senior manager, the, the, well, in fact, the general manager of this organisation, um, we did an exercise very early on and he, he ran out in front of people and started blasting them with all this information about himself. It was high speed. He was a high speed thinker, high speed talker, bang, 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 bang. And you could tell that people were quite intimidated by this and also didn't really stay with it for very long because he was just, he just couldn't stop. He, he was like breathlessly just, just, just going like a train through this stuff. And over mm. the two days, as as we got to understand him a little better and we talked a little bit about presence and, and 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 where your authentic self comes from and where that's located in your breathing and how you are and how you walk out in front of a group of people. And, you know, we, we, he soon realized he was so in his head and his thoughts, which are moving at 100 miles an hour, that he was just reciting his thought patterns and externalizing his high-speed thought patterns, which are a very different thing from actually engaging a group of people with an idea, telling a story, mm. building a concept with them. And so we, um, we showed him some techniques, some breathing techniques. We showed him some techniques for under, un, understanding and identifying the why behind the what of the presentation. We got him to clarify exactly what, he, what it was, was his core message, what it was that his role there was, what it was that he wanted people to achieve at the end of his presentation, no matter how short it was. Um, And then Mm. we, we taught him how to actually breathe and relax back into the truth of that purpose and actually then to walk out in front of an audience, look them in the eye and connect with them and then build the concepts that he had and tell the stories around the concepts, but all of the time, making sure that he could see and feel their response to what he was saying. So it became an interaction rather than a a, a diatribe basically. And the interesting Mm. thing was, um, and the thing that I respect most about him, he was willing to go through this development in front of his direct reports. Um, Mm. But on day two, when he stood up and walked out in front of them and gave a presentation he'd actually given three months before on the strategy of the company, I could feel that whole group of people were totally transformed by what this man had to say. It was a really quite special moment. And, you know, in just, it was a 10-minute presentation he had to do, ten minutes, not one PowerPoint, not one visual aid. It was all done from the heart, all done using the techniques that we cover on the program. Um, Mm. And it's transformational. And he got so much more out of it. His team got so much more out of it. It was a very special thing. Um, And for me, it's not necessarily doing anything that you you don't know about. It's not rocket science. It's just learning how to do it properly, you know, how to do things as a leader properly. Um, And, in fact, that presentation he did, 10 minutes would have saved a huge amount of time down the road in terms of people's comprehension of what he wanted them to do and what he expected from them and what his what his mission was. That by mm-hmm. getting that level of engagement, it saved him hours and hours and hours of time with people not being clear. If you think about it, if people go mm-hmm. away from a meeting, they're not really clear what you said, they'll go and do something else and then you have to correct them. and Or they start sending emails asking for more information and you know, to not pay attention to this kind of stuff can cost you a tremendous amount of time trying to mm. re-clarify and redirect what people are doing. Um, so that was a nice example. I think he saved a huge amount of time by just doing that 10-minute presentation
0: to his leadership team. And do you keep in touch with him? I mean, do you know what the ongoing results were?
1: Yeah, in fact, I was just in touch with him the, uh, the, uh, the, this week. Um, he's He's putting together a little testimonial for us to put out on our on our uh, website about uh, about the work that we did um but no I mean their head of internal communications has 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 come back to me and said that you know every single one of them they're they're noticeably different as a result of the training that they had they, this really this really it's really moved them um, so I'm very proud of that I'm very pleased with that because you know, I've run presentation skills programs for years. What, what, what I did with this one was took some of that, but I also introduced some of the stuff that I'll do when I'm working with actors who are going to Edinburgh to get them to perform at five-star mm. level, to invoke emotion when they perform, to make people laugh, to to really become someone people want
0: to watch. And um, mm. they go together really well. What type of people you normally sort of sign on to that workshop?
1: That Well, that was the executive team. That was the leadership team. But funnily mm-hmm. enough, um, I, I, um, a friend of mine asked me to, uh, to do a session for two young students. It was actually my, my sister's daughter, my niece and her friend, they, they yeah. had to do presentations for their third year project, design project. And, uh, mm. I actually had a, about three quarters of a day with them using the same material. Um, so right. the 21 year old students, <laughs> And I taught them the same techniques for clarifying the purpose of the presentation, clarifying where their audience were and where they wanted to take them, learning the breathing techniques, learning how to control their presence in the room. Um, And it was really interesting, you know, rather like the senior executive, the departure point, these these young ladies, they came in and I said, okay, we'll do a little presentation about this. And they, they did a little presentation about that. And there was a lot of hair flicking and a lot of kind of giggling and a lot of laughter and a lot of kind of nervousness which you know Mm. completely undermined any seriousness in the project they were talking about i mean it would have it would have just been you know so distracting the way they were behaving that once we Mm. actually got them to really really decide that they were there to share some great work that they'd done as designers with people who really needed this work um, and they were just simply helping people understand the way in which they'd gone about the work the value of the work, the quality of the work, um, and technically what the process had been and that their job was to help people become crystal clear on all of that. Um, and to see just how the creativity that they put into it was going to make a difference to the outcome. Mm. And, uh, we, we got these two ladies just performing in a totally different way, totally different way. Mm. They went back and I got the news, um, just before Christmas, um, that they went back and their grades had gone from 2-2 for their project work to first After wow. their presentations. They got firsts, both of them. Mm. And not only that, my niece, who are a little bit biased, my niece was actually given an award because she designed something for this project for a Swiss company, and they were so impressed with her work, they actually invited her over to Switzerland. She's just going over in the next couple of weeks to be acknowledged, to be uh, uh, commended for the work that we put forward to form their project.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, because yeah. my
1: niece, I'm a bit bit biased. But I think if I can get my niece to buy into this and listen to me, then, uh, you know, I think I'm up on good track here with the uh, with the rest of it. <laughs>
0: It sounds like it. We've got me flown by, but it's 35 minutes have gone already, 36 minutes. So before we finish, Nicholas, what, what are your thoughts on the whole sort of area or sort of customer experience?
1: My thoughts are this. And so number one, it's a new game. It's a digital game. It's a multi- it's an omni-channel game. It's no longer just about coming to the shop and that's where it happens. The relationship now happens via internet, via social media, via online, artificial intelligence, chatbots. Uh, I think I saw a survey that said that British industry, 70% of companies are, are falling behind when it comes to getting on board with new technology. It's here. It's going to happen. Younger people are expecting digital customer journeys. You need to be on it now. You need to be getting people to understand what digital transformation is. You need to be working on it now. It's going to happen, and you don't want to be behind on that. But, of course, mm. that presents you, your team leaders with a challenge. You know, no longer is it something that they can observe, something they can supervise. They can't stand over people the way that they uh, might have done in the past. So they need to learn how to manage change within their teams. They need to learn how to take people through all the steps of change. Also, we've got this engagement issue. If if only 30% of people engage, you might even have 60%, whatever. But team leaders need Mm. to know how to get people on board. They need to know how to get the best out of people as well as helping guide them Mm. through change. So it's, it, it's going to go through change We're going to have Brexit There's going to be a tremendous shift In the way in which um, the social, economic, political And technological environment is affecting us It's Some people call it a VUCA world Which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous It means that we're not going to be able to see clearly Where things are going uh, And I don't think we will see clearly where things are going So we need to create meaning for people In the here and now, in the short term We need to be able as team leaders to get people on board and get people functioning because I think what will happen is people will disengage. They'll start worrying so much about things they can't control that they'll get distracted um, and that they won't get on board and see the opportunities that are there. And whether it's Brexit or not Brexit, I think there's going to be tremendous opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses that are going to come up. And you need to have a team of leaders who are on board with this who are exploiting this, who know how to get people on board, know how to lead people. You need to be resilient. You need to be adaptable. um, And that means really applying some of these things, uh, which means having really good purpose-driven businesses. You need to have businesses that know how to handle change effectively. You need to have a positive culture that's grounded in strong values, that have got good support, good respect between the members, but are also incredibly agile, which means, you know, that you can change on a sixpence. You can change direction without having loads of resentment and people throwing their arms in the air. Oh, my goodness, why didn't you tell me? Um, and that's a cultural thing. And, and mm-hmm. developing culture is something that senior leaders need to be good at. And it's, it's something that I'm working more and more with senior managers, middle managers, on, on helping them get their head around what it is that the Colin Marshalls of this world, what it is of the Toyotas of this world, what it is of the Tony Blooms of this world, did and have done that work. Um, in getting organisations mm-hmm. to perform above above average in terms of performance.
0: Well, and if people want to find out more about you, Nicholas, where where would they go?
1: Yeah, probably the website. Um, I've got a website which is www.360. That's the number three six zero three sixty degree mm-hmm. vision degree visions in word. Co. Uk. So www.360degreevision. Co. Uk. Three sixty degree vision.
0: Okay. Well, I'll put that link in the show notes and then um, we'll include some information on some of the other stuff that you're doing. Like, you know, you mentioned about the the work, the work, workshops and, and so on. We'll put all that information in the, in the show notes as well. So anyone listening, if you want more information on some of the things that, you know, some of the things that Nicholas spoke about, just take a look in the uh, show notes. Well, Thank you very much for your time, Nicholas. It's been superb. It's some really good information now. I'm sure people will have got a lot out of this episode. Great.
1: Well, thanks to you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Good luck.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks, Nicholas. Next week is episode 26 with Neville Tynemouth, an extremely enthusiastic guy who is a, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a coach. He's got a really interesting way of approaching workshops, which I think, I think you'll find quite different to many other people. Um, he Used to be uh, worked in a, in a huge, large telecom provider and he set up his own business in 2010. He now, he now helps people to become better at sales and selling and to give them a different dimension to what it is they do. So that's next week with Neville Tynemouth. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Please do leave us a review and maybe join the Facebook group and I'll see you next week.